chapter 4, starting with verse 5, to get ready to read that to you, the word of the day that the youth group came up for me is in this uh, passage. And my word today is cattywampus. <laughs> Definition. Disorganized. Not lined up or arranged correctly. Cattywampus. That sounds like a word that my granddad would have used when he was telling stories. Do what? Oh, she's trying to give it away. If you want to read along with me, Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 13 is what I'll be reading. You can pull out your phone, find it on your Bible in your phone. You can look in the, in the Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you. It will also be up on the screens in the version that I'll be reading from. I, I read from the New Revised Standard most, most days. So this thing happened that I just told you about. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. I'm going to stop right there and teach for just a quick moment. You may recognize the name Caiaphas from the Gospels. He was the high priest at one point in Jesus' ministry and in Jesus' life. And so there are times that the scribes and Pharisees would go to Caiaphas, the high priest, and tattletale, basically, on what Jesus was doing. And so these guys, John and Peter, they do this thing. They, they participate in the work of God and the Holy Spirit and perform this miracle. And then they get arrested. And who's there? Caiaphas. But he's not the high priest anymore because Annas, the high priest, is. Annas was Caiaphas's son-in-law. And so Luke is telling us all this, that Annas was there, and Caiaphas was there, and John was there, and Alexander were there, and all who were of the high priestly family were there. That this powerful family that had kind of ran the temple and ran how things happened in the temple had gathered around these two men who were arrested for doing the thing that Jesus would do. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. May God give us wisdom and courage as we interpret Scripture. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we apply the truth of it to our lives. Amen. Peter is one of the guys that's kind of in the middle of a lot of stories that we read about. Like you'll remember Peter's calling. He was out fishing all night long and he comes in and he and his brother Andrew and a few other guys were around and they were tending to their nets, cleaning them up from a long night of fishing, taking care of the tools of their trade. And this 
rabbi comes walking along and looks at them, and what does he say to them? What does the rabbi say to these fishermen? Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. Come, follow me, is a big phrase in in Peter's life. So Peter has this experience where a rabbi is calling him to come be a student of his. And then we know things about Peter, like he's the one who got in an argument with Jesus, where Jesus he rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him back. And when Jesus rebuked him, he said, get behind me, Satan. Because what was going on is Peter was saying to Jesus, the things that you're saying you're going to do, like go into Jerusalem and be arrested and be killed, and three days later rise again, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, Peter, you talk too much. And so that happens. Then there's this last event. Well, then there's the thing where Jesus is getting arrested and Peter draws his sword and he swings his sword. He's ready for the fight, right? He is ready. He's been waiting for this moment his whole life where they get to overthrow the Roman Empire. And he draws his sword and has a mind of a hero. And he swings his sword because he's so big and strong and probably such a great warrior and misses. Because he's none of the things that his mind happened. You've ever, have you ever had that happen to you? Where you think like one thing, this is how I look when I'm doing this. And I look so cool and big and I'm great at it. And then you see a video and you're like, huh? I do that every time I watch myself preach, by the way. Peter swings his sword, misses, chops the guy's ear off. Jesus picks it up, sticks it to the side of his head and heals him. Peter's arrest, Jesus is arrested, and Peter kind of tags along behind, and he's watching the proceedings that are happening, and he's standing around a fire at one point. And he, he's in the shadows, but it's cold, and so he's standing around the fire, and a peasant girl. I imagine somebody about the size of Skylar, except a peasant. Skylar's not a peasant. Walks up to Peter. And says, hey, I recognize your accent. Aren't you one of the guys that used to hang out with that dude over there? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. She asks him again and again. He denies it. And then third time he says, I don't even know who he is. A peasant girl who has no power and no authority over Peter's life. And he can't get himself to say, yes, I know him. Now... Peter is standing in front of some of the most powerful people in his world. People that he saw make a horrible thing happen to his best friend. And Luke writes to us, tells us that he boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus. And he goes on the offensive even, and he says, look, this Jesus of Nazareth, by the way, you're the ones who crucified him. And then he goes on and tells the story. Where does that boldness come from? The Holy Spirit. It's not from himself. It's from the Holy Spirit. That's the amazing part of this part of the story. Right? It's amazing that a miracle happened. It's amazing that a man's feet and ankles were strengthened in the name of Jesus, and he stood up and walked. But the fact that the Holy Spirit emboldened Peter to do something that we know Peter didn't have the strength within himself to do just a month or two prior is incredible. It's incredible. 
But I want to kind of tell you the other part of Peter and Jesus' story. The way that I understand it, to be called by a rabbi, to follow the rabbi, was a big deal in an ancient Galilean's life. In ancient Judaism, most boys wanted to grow up to be rabbis. Like today, they want to grow up to be baseball players or football players or musicians or actors or something that's kind of big and famous. Most boys in the ancient Near East, in the Galilean area where Jesus was doing his ministry, they wanted to grow up to be rabbis. And so around the age of 13, about the time of their bar mitzvah, the, a rabbi would start coming around their school and their synagogue where they were learning, and he would start to ask them questions. He was looking for the best students. It was part testing on steroids. And he started with asking them questions, and when he found the student that he thought could do what he did, he would say these words, Come, follow me. That's what every boy wanted to hear. So Peter, obviously, had never heard those words before because he's a fisherman. He is plying his father's trade. He's doing what his dad had always done. His dad had said, All right, since you're not so smart, come follow me. The B team. Maybe even C team. But Jesus sees something in Peter and in James and in John and in Matthew and in Luke and in Andrew and Simon, which Simon is Peter. Now I'm getting redundant. He sees something in them. And he says, come, follow me, because I believe that you can do what I do. And we see it happen one time in Peter's life. They're on a boat. Peter, or, uh, Peter, you're not, you are kind of like Peter. But Stuart was talking about this story two weeks ago. They're on a boat, it gets rocky and wavy, and Jesus comes walking along on the water, and he looks at the boat, and what's he say? Hey guys, get out of the boat, come join me. Because he knows that they can do what he is doing. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. We always talk about the fact that Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water, everyone. And then he starts to doubt that he can actually do what Jesus did, and he starts sinking. But there's a real parallel in this story of standing before these people and Jesus' life. And emboldened by the Holy Spirit, Peter actually is able to do what Jesus did. We are all called. None of us are A-team. None of us are blue-chip recruits. None of us are the stars of anything. We are all called. Jesus is saying to all of us, come, follow me. But here's the thing, all of us doubt that. All of us doubt that we can do what our rabbi did, and rightly so, because we can't without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As United Methodists, we believe in this kind of second happening in our faith. So there's a point of salvation in which we have an understanding that we are saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That 
that our lives will continue on after we die. The good works that we've done will continue on and, and that we will get to be in the presence of God for eternity when we die because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We believe that. But we also believe that that's not the end, that that's not enough. Because we have this idea also in our culture of escapism. Like, ah, to hell with that place, literally, to hell with this place, because when I die, I'm moving on. And as I was reminded this morning by my sister, this is Earth Day. And there's only one of them. Revelation says that this is where we will be. That this place where we are will be the new heaven and the new earth. So we can't escape. It's not about like the moment of belief so that when you die you get to go to heaven. It's about that, but it's about now also. It's about how we live now, how we interact with one another now, how we serve each other now, how we take care of each other, how we take care of this place that we live. That's what this is about. Like, And, and we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Methodism, we have a belief that salvation happens. There's a moment of occurrence in our lives where we're connected with God through grace and through love. And then there's this other moment that happens. Sometimes in the midst of that, and sometimes it happens afterwards, where the Holy Spirit floods into our lives. And it's evident in all sorts of ways, but the primary way that it's evident is for you know it. Because you sense some sort of power to overcome your sin. The grace of God sanctifies us where we can kind of overcome our sin. I know exactly the moment that I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a real way. I was at Sacramento Methodist Assembly. I was 22 years old. I was working a chrysalis journey, which is like a a walk to Emmaus for college-age kids. I was standing in the back of the chapel, singing a song, writing some things down on paper that we were trying to, like, basically a confession of our sins. And I started writing things down that I did not want to be writing down, things that I liked and I wanted to continue having in my life. I began writing those things down, and they were gone. I had power over the sin in my life through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an act of my will, like being strong-willed and overcoming it. It was an act of God. And you can see the fruit of the Holy Spirit when you engage with people. And see, like I I tell Stuart all the time, like I want to grow up to be like that person, and I want to grow up to be like this person. People I'm meeting here in the church that I know are of life and grace that comes from the Spirit of God. They're the kind of people who could stand up and speak boldly because of the Holy Spirit. And to receive the Holy Spirit, there's no magic, there's nothing like that. It's just to be open and to trust that God is and will work through you. And then we're free. We're free like Jesus was. We're free like Peter and John were to not worry about the rules of how we're supposed to interact with people who are different from us. We just interact and we love them. And we let God do what God does. It's not our job to judge. It's not our job to change people. It's not our job to do any of that. 
Our job is to love people and welcome them into the kingdom of God and trust that God will do what God does. There was a time in my life where my theology was such that like over here is when somebody is connected with the Spirit of God and is saved. And over here is when they're not. And my job was to befriend this person so that I could walk with them to this point and drop them off and go back and get another person and walk them across and drop them off and go back and get another person. And if somehow I wasn't able to get this person from here to there, I had failed. And I was in a seminary class one time, and we were talking about evangelism, and the professor said, here's my model of evangelism. You befriend someone. Plain and simple. You befriend them. And in the befriending of them, you recognize that your life will be changed for the better because they are a creation of God and they are created good. And your life will never be the same because of that. And you can celebrate that friendship. And then you just walk through life with them. And you might walk one step and you might walk two steps and then that's it. Like maybe you just keep walking and walking and walking but there's never a point where you say, okay, I'm done with my job with this person and you go back because that's not a relationship, that's a transaction. And I was freed up from the burden of rules because what ends up happening is we hear the gospel, we hear that we are forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, and then we make a rule about it. Which is not the gospel. And the reason I know it's not the gospel is because I never saw Jesus making any rules except Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the rule. And that's also why he got killed, is because that's what he loved to live. And so he healed people on the Sabbath. And he touched people who were unclean. And he literally sat at a table with prostitutes and other sinners, whatever that might be, because if prostitute doesn't fall into that classification, then I'm not sure what would, right? And he had no care about that. All he cared about was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let the rules be the rules, and let the rule makers make the rules, but you are to love So Morningstar United Methodist Church, my prayer for us is that we would never be the church that closes our doors. But the truth of it is, I don't believe churches close their doors. I don't believe that churches die. Because we are the body of Christ And Jesus Christ died once for three days, and it will never, ever happen again. And so when I hear people say, our churches are dying, they're in decline, I want to say, liar. 
You're a liar because you don't understand Jesus Christ will never die again and we are the body of Christ and we are alive and we are well and we are doing really good things all throughout the world. We will never die. Yes, some church buildings may close their doors. Some communities may age out and that's okay. The milk jug in my fridge has an expiration date on it. But we are going to be a church that loves people. And that loves God. And that seeks the kingdom of God above all other things. And we're going to let the chips fall where the chips fall. And we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can speak boldly and we can love boldly. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.